If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. Welcome to the early service. Glad that you are here. We have been doing a series on the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible, you can open to that or you can grab your outline. You'll be able to follow along with us. The goal of this series is the same for veterans and new believers alike. What we're trying to learn to wrap our minds around and understand is how do we stand in the battles of life and not get knocked out? We're in a spiritual struggle right now, and yet God has given us spiritual armor to protect us so that we can stand against evil, and evil is just a regular occurrence in our modern day world. That's why the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breast with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So last weekend, the pastor of Christ the King, Coopville, Todd King, was here. And he unwrapped for us the first three pieces of the armor of God. And uh, if you weren't here, I want to catch you up to speed very quickly so you don't miss out on anything. So last week, we started with the belt of truth. Truth is what holds us together. That's why it's the centerpiece of Christian armor. Without truth... We tend to get unraveled, we get twisted up in our own understanding, and we end up flat on our face wondering what in the world just happened to us. Truth is what allows us to stay grounded in a world that seems to constantly shift and move and shake. Truth is what holds us firm when the world around us seems to be coming apart at the seams. Truth is what answers our questions when our questions are plaguing our minds. Truth, according to the Bible, is what sets us free. And that's why God makes it the centerpiece of the armor that holds everything together. The second piece that Todd talked about last week was the breastplate of righteousness. This is what protects our hearts with right living and being obedient to God's call to be in the world, but not of the world. It protects the vital organs. It stays right in the core of who we are. I think we could admit this together. Wrong living comes naturally, doesn't it? It just comes naturally, but right living is a decision. I've got a new friend. He's been saved now for three weeks since Easter. He said this to me the other day. He goes, Grant, sin's easy. And it just is, right? It just, that's the natural part of who we are. And yet right living is a decision to go against what's easy. It's not always a popular one, but it's the decision to obey God in all things at all times. And that's why that breastplate of righteousness is so important because it carries with it a message that we are living differently, living counterculturally. And thirdly, Todd talked about the sandals of readiness. Now, don't think flip-flops when you see sandals, okay? It's not stuff that you can knock out of. In fact, Todd used a beautiful illustration of how they used to put nails through the bottom of their sandals and bind them to their feet. They were literally like cleats, like sport cleats that allowed us to be fully ready to engage people in a spiritual conversation in our mission to share the message of Jesus with people so that we were at the ready. We were planted and ready to go whenever God asked us to be. Those are just the first three pieces. And then God adds on to the list in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 16, and says this, in addition to all of this, so in addition to that, 
take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. We've got two more pieces. We'll add them next week. But this week, we're going to add this, the shield of faith. I believe we've got a picture of one. There it is, the shield of faith. And we're also going to add the helmet of salvation. Those are the two pieces that we're going to add. Let's start with the shield of faith, okay? Now, when you picture this piece of armor, I want to make sure that you don't go garbage can lid on me, okay? I mean, because that's kind of the way it is. When I was growing up and we would play war in my backyard, the, the weapon of protection of choice was a garbage can lid. That made a great shield. And we would make swords out of wood and we would attack each other in our backyard. Now, I know for some of you, that just freaks you out because like, we don't do that. We don't espouse violence. We don't do anything like that. Okay, we're boys in Manitoba and we're bored. Okay, so that's what we did. We made weapons and we beat on each other. Okay, now I know some of you try to quell that in your sons and you can, uh, that you're fine to have your opinion. I saw an amazing picture of this in Walmart on Friday. Okay. I'm there picking up some stuff. Laurel's in one section of the store. I'm in another section of the store. They've totally reoriented the whole Walmart thing. So I I ended up in the toy section, okay? Don't normally hang out in the toy section, but that's where I ended up looking for a lint roller, okay? They moved the store around on me. I don't know. But I end up in this and I'm walking through the toy section and there's a little boy and he has found a gun. And his eyes are huge looking at this gun. And he's taken it off of the rack, and it's a little toy rifle. And he's looking at it, and it's, I mean, his eyes are just big. And his mom comes over to him, puts her hand on his shoulder, and says, sweetheart, we don't like guns. You shouldn't like guns. They're bad. You need to put that back. You know, hey, every parent, you've got your right to parent the way you want to. So the little boy, he puts it back. And as the mom turns to leave, his true boyness comes out because she turns around and behind her back, he goes like this. <laughs> I prayed for him. <laughs> All right. I mean, you know, it, it's, it, it's just something inside of us that knows we're made, especially for guys, we are made for a certain kind of war. But let's be honest, holding the garbage can lid in front of your, the mortal enemy of your soul, that's not a very intimidating picture. And that's not the picture Paul would have us have. In fact, if you saw the picture that I showed you, when Paul wrote this, he would have been picturing a Roman shield that carried two different kinds of shields. One was a small one for hand-to-hand combat, and the other one was almost four and a half feet tall, two and a half feet wide, and several inches thick. They were huge. In fact, they often had another guy carrying their shield in front of them to protect them. See, the Roman warriors would often hold their shields over top of their head, and it would cover their entire body, held over their head. They were completely protected if they just stayed behind the shield. Sometimes if they were advancing on another garrison of troops, they would link their shields together and make an impenetrable force as they would walk right up into the face of battle. Sometimes they would hold them over their head because they would often attack cities. And when Rome was taking over cities, what they knew was this. Archers would go and stand on the top of the wall, light their arrows, dip them in oil, light them on fire, and rain them down on top of the Roman troops. You needed a shield big enough and thick enough to be able to hide completely under, or you were toast. That's just the way that it was. That's why Paul says this. Do you get the imagery of what he's talking about now? 
It says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Paul's saying you need a big shield to protect yourself, and it's made of faith. Nicky Gumbel from the Alpha Course that we teach here at Christ the King says this. He says, faith is the opposite of cynicism and skepticism, which wreaks havoc in so many lives. One aspect of faith has been defined as taking a promise of God and just daring to believe it. It's a good definition. My question to you is, what promise of God can you choose to believe this week? So the first week of this series, we talked about the fact we are in a spiritual battle, in a spiritual struggle, and the reason God gives us armor is so we can engage fully in that battle. And even though the victory, even though we are completely victorious already because of, of, of the, the victory that Jesus won through the resurrection, how he reigned victorious, even though all of that has happened, there's still a spiritual conflict that goes on as the devil tries to take people down who are doing their best to follow Jesus. And the way he does that is he starts throwing arrows at us. That's what Paul's talking about. He's firing darts at us every single day. So let's take a moment and talk about some of the most common arrows that we're going to face. Let's start with this one, the flaming arrow of doubt. That's the next blank in your outline. This has been a part of the devil's game since creation. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They've been told to stay away from a certain tree because it's simply not allowed for them to participate or to partake from that particular tree. It's been, th- that rule was put there for their protection, not to try and keep anything from them. But the devil comes along and he starts seeding little seeds of doubt. And he starts with Eve, and he starts asking questions like this. Are you sure? What if God's trying to hide something from you? His actual words are, did God really say not to eat from that tree? I mean, why would that be? That doesn't sound very nice to me. I thought God was supposed to love you and provide everything for you. Why is he withholding something from you? I mean, are you sure God loves you? Because if he really loves you, I think you should be able to get whatever you want, whenever you want. I mean, if I was God, that's the way I'd work it. You'd just have full and free access. Have you ever heard that kind of thing? If God loves you so much, why did your check engine light come on on the way to church? If God loves you so much, why are you sick? Are you sure God's good? It doesn't look that way from here. I mean, if God is supposed to protect you in in that type of circumstance, why did you end up getting hurt? I mean, where was God when you needed Him the most? Are you sure God's a God of love? I mean, have you ever heard that kind of stuff in your life? That's the enemy planting seeds of doubt, hoping that they will germinate in your mind and sprout with questions. The devil wants us to doubt because that often leads to the second flaming arrow of temptation. I mean, it follows a pattern. You know? Well, because God obviously doesn't love you because of all the stuff that's going on in your life, here's what you need to do. You need to get even. In fact, you're entitled to something. Let's go and do a little sin on the side. Because after all, God kind of dropped the ball on his God part of the equation. So maybe you just need to kind of snap him back to attention by going and doing something wrong. And the devil will just come and say, like, here's something that'll make you feel better. You know, look at that. Well, why don't you check that aspect of, of, of sin out? That, that'll, that'll, that'll do it right there. It'll make you feel better. 
The book of James, when it talks about temptation, uses the word entice. And I want you to think about it like a bass fish, okay? Like actually become a fish in your brain, jump into the water, go hide underneath of your log. It's opening weekend for fishing, right? So you're just hanging out under the log and all of a sudden something hits the water. What was that? And then it goes spinning by. And it's shiny and it's flashy. And it looks like food. So you zip out from under your log and you bump it with your nose. And you're just like, oh, that, no, that's good. It even smelled like food. And pretty soon, you, you know, you do all your best to resist it. And then it comes spinning by going the other direction. Well, look at that thing right there. That thing's flashy. That's shiny. I think I'm going to actually go and take a piece of that. And you go up and you nudge it one more time. It's just like, no, nah, I don't think so. Nah, whatever. And you're in the boat and pan fried before lunchtime. It's the way temptation works. Pretty soon we're on a hook and we can't get free and we're being reeled in. That's what happens. That's the same type of lure that the devil himself lays out before Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been out fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. He's tired. He's weak in his humanity. I mean, you can imagine just just how, how desperate you would be for some kind of nourishment after not eating for 40 days. And the devil comes and he tempts him. And the conversation goes something like this. My paraphrase. Come on, Jesus, you're hungry. You deserve it. You're tired. Look, you've been doing all this really cool spiritual stuff out here in the desert. You deserve some kind of nourishment. Where, where's your dad, Jesus? Did he leave you out here to fend on your own? I mean, th- this is it. Look, you deserve this. Just relax. Take a knee, Jesus. I know you can take care of yourself, but I'll take care of you too. In fact, all that you can see, I'll make it available to you. If, if, if all, you're just going to need to take a knee. Let's make a deal, Jesus. What I love about the account in Matthew chapter 4 is that Jesus stood up to the temptation with truth and the word of God. He resists and he stands victorious. The reality is some of you are being tempted right now. You're being tempted to take money under the table in a business deal. You're being tempted with an affair. You're being tempted to lie just to make it easier on yourself. You're being tempted to numb your pain because you think that's actually just going to make it just a little easier. You're being tempted to settle and take a knee. And what I need you to know, if you don't get anything else out of this morning, my prayer is that you'll take this. You can respond to that temptation exactly the same way that Jesus did. Because Jesus takes off the filter... He takes off the censoring buttons, and this is what he says to the enemy. He says, you need to get away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's the response. Here's another flaming arrow, spiritual blindness. devil loves to blind us to the consequences of sin, doesn't he? When we fall to temptation, he just wants to say, it's not that big a deal. Nobody's going to know. It'll be fine. Don't worry about the IRS. They're not going to audit you. Don't worry about your boss. He'll never find out that you've been taking stuff out of the warehouse. Don't worry about your future spouse. They're never going to know about your history anyway. Don't worry about the lies you're going to have to tell to cover it all up. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Just, Just do it. Just do it. 
The Bible tries to convince everyone there's no consequences to sin. In fact, he'll go even further than that. He'll say, don't worry about salvation. Don't worry about Jesus. Don't worry about Christianity. It's such a joke. I mean, Christianity is just a crutch for weak-minded people. You're absolutely fine on your own. He will lay that stuff in front of us. And the Bible actually warns us about it. 2 Corinthians 4, the Bible says, The God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The devil so desperately wants to blind you to the effect and consequence of unright living. Here's another flaming arrow. It's the arrow of deception. John 8, 44, saying he, meaning Satan himself, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but Satan's a liar. And one of his tactics is to deceive you so that you'll settle for something less than what God has for you. Here's a lie he will tell you. Stuff will fill your soul. That hole in your heart, if you just get a big enough pile of stuff, it'll make you feel better. Here's what I can tell you from experience. Accumulating stuff just creates a great big pile for your relatives to fight over after you're dead. And I get to referee, which is no fun. That's the role of a pastor sometimes after somebody's gone. That's the the lie of the enemy. Just fill your life with stuff. It'll be great. Another lie he'll tell you is, you know, you can just experiment with relationships. You don't need to commit to them. Just, just, just experiment. Little from this person, little from that person. Try this out. Try that on for size. You know, if, if you just experiment, then maybe you'll find true love. Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. Jesus says the only place you can find true love is in a relationship that's based on commitment, not based on experimenting. So make your relational decisions very, very wisely. Here's another one that I hear all the time. Jesus will say this. Here's the truth. He'll say there's two roads. There's a narrow one that very few people find that leads to eternal glory in a relationship with Jesus. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. And a lot of people find that road. Jesus says there's two roads. Satan will lie to you and tell you there's three. He'll actually admit, yeah, there's a narrow road, leads to God. But you know what? That's just for the Jesus freaks and Bible thumpers. You want to do that, be normal. Stay off that narrow road. I mean, it's just, that's just, it's too hard. He'll actually acknowledge that there's a broad road that leads to destruction. In fact, he'll tell you, look at all the people that are walking on that road. Don't you want to be a part of that parade? It's okay, just settle, just get over there. And then he'll add a third road to it. It's the most popular one in middle America. He calls it the middle road. Just stay in the middle of the road. It's fine. There's less resistance there. You can kind of do Jesus on the side. You know, you put in your hour on Sunday mornings. It's just just fine. Like, just relax. Take a deep breath. You don't want to create. Don't talk about it with anybody else because that would be offensive to somebody else. Take off those gospel cleat things. that, That just freaks people out when you wear those kinds of things. Just stay in the middle of the road and you're going to be just fine. Because if you stay in the middle of the road, you can do Jesus on the side. God's going to wink at your sin. He's going to call it good and everybody's going to get it anyway. Okay, for the record, according to the Bible, the middle of the road is just the ditch beside the road that's going to hell. I got two Snickers. One muted amen, and everybody else just went, uh-oh. 
8.30, do we understand that? Jesus said two roads, not three. The enemy loves to lie. Here's the last one. It's the flaming arrow of accusation. Revelation 12 verse 10 says this, For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. You know, maybe some of you have heard these accusations before. An accusation that says you can never recover from that sin. Amazing grace applies to everybody else, but not you. You're in a different category. Maybe you've heard the accusation, you know, you're just too far gone. Just too dirty. You you can't pull it back together again. Maybe you've heard the accusation as the devil sits and whispers in your mind, I know your secret, and God knows your secret too. And you keep thinking you can be forgiven, but the reality is, no way. Maybe you've heard the accusation that you're a failure. You always have been, always will be. Maybe your accusation sounds something like this. You can't love God. You don't even know how to love yourself. Seriously? I mean, that's why the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation is so unbelievably important. Let's shift to the helmet of salvation. Do you notice where all of these arrows are pointed? They're pointed at your mind. And that's why God wants us to put that helmet on. That's why he wants us to hold up that shield. We need double protection in that mind because doubt and temptation and blindness and confusion and deception and accusation, that stuff all happens right between our ears. That's the experience. Okay, let me try and explain this to you. And I'll tell you a goofy story as I get ready to... All right, so I had to go into a beauty supply store to buy a foam head, all right? And because God has a sense of humor... I walk into the beauty supply store over by Home Depot, and I'm like, hello, and there's this nice young lady behind the counter, and I said, I need a foam head. She goes, we have those. Follow me to the back of the store, of course, right? So navigating my way down behind the aisles, and I'm just praying, like, you know, Jesus, just, can I buy that foam head and get out of here, please? No. No. Right? So she says, so what do you need a head for? I'm going to throw darts at it in church. <laughs> Excuse me? Like, I'm going to throw darts at it in church. Okay, that's a new one, right? You know, somebody write that down. I'm walking to the front, and sure enough, you people are everywhere. Because there's a lady right behind me. She goes, I am so not missing church this weekend, you know? I'm like, okay, anyways, back to the topic at hand. I mean, this is the way it works every single day. You're going to encounter it tomorrow. You're going to go about your daily life. You're going to hit Monday, question of doubt. And the enemy's going to stand this close. He's not going to try and shoot from the other side of the room. Here comes doubt. Here comes accusation. Here comes temptation right between your eyes. And he's just going to keep on firing and firing and firing. He's going to target everything inside of you because that's just what he does. And that's why God has said, this is what I need you to do. If you don't want this to be a representation of your week, I've given you a couple of pieces of armor, and you, if you're not foolish, you will pick them up. You're going to pick them up. Otherwise, you're going to end up plucking this stuff out of your brain, and the second you get it loose, he's going to start all over again. And he's just going to keep on firing. And some of these, I mean, it's like, ouch! 
And we wonder why we get hurt, because we don't actually have the wisdom to put the armor on every single day, every single morning, every single night. You see, here's what happens. When you actually have the shield of faith up and the helmet of your salvation, that moment when you were redeemed and set free, when you put that on your head, you get to have a different conversation with the enemy. And you will have a conversation with the enemy at some point. But when you have wrapped yourself in God's armor, you have a protective covering that allows you to stand in front of the enemy himself and say, look, I got doubts every single day, but now I know where they're coming from. So devil, here's what you need to know. You can say whatever you want to, but that doesn't make it right. I can stand in the face of temptation because the savior of my soul stood in, in the face of temptation and yet was without sin. You want to try and spiritually blind me. But I'm not going for that. In fact, here's the deal. I walk by faith and not by sight. So you can try to blind me, but it's not going to work. You want to convince me that I can be deceived. But the reality is this. I know what truth is, and I know the truth can set me free. And you can accuse me all night and all day long, but my Savior answered every accusation with His perfect grace and perfect love and perfect sacrifice. So I don't stand before you alone. No, I stand with Him based on His merit so I can resist you. So as a child of the Most High God, this is my responsibility. It's to tell you to back off, leave me alone, because you can't hit me. Because I believe in a faith that's bigger than you are. I believe that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I believe that there are more for me than against me. I believe that my God is greater, my God is stronger, my God is higher than any other. So you can keep on flapping your gums, but the reality is this, your arrows don't touch me. Don't touch me. So here's what I don't want to happen, okay? Don't walk out on Monday morning going like this. I know there's an arrow coming from somewhere. Don't be paranoid that way. If you do that, you know what's going to happen? Your car's going to make a funny noise on the way to work tomorrow, and you're going to be like, ah, cast the demon out, you know? Why live in fear that way when you can just... Put your armor on. Wrap salvation around your head so that he can't hit you between the eyes. Pick up a shield of faith that dares to believe what God says is true and you're going to claim that promise. And you hold that thing right in front of you and you walk boldly into the world where God caused you and called you to be. You know, it just seems crazy to me that if God offered us armor that we would refuse it. When I was a kid in Manitoba, I played a lot of hockey. And if somebody was in a game and they did something really stupid in the middle of the game, this was the joke that they would say, dude, you've been playing without a helmet. That's what we'd say to each other. Here's the deep theological point of today. Don't play without a helmet. Just don't play without one. It's foolish. And he will catch you. Off guard when you least expect it. God's given you armor. Put it on. So in closing, if we're living for Jesus, we're going to encounter opposition. That's just the reality of it. And in the face of spiritual opposition, God's called us to be victorious. And the Bible says, if he has called us to be victorious, this is what we must do. So let's recap one more time. Put on the full armor of God. Belt, breastplate of righteousness, 
sandals ready to share the gospel. Helmet of salvation, shield of faith, so that you can walk out there as God has called you to walk. I thought about trying to illustrate this in a big, fancy, high-tech way. This is as high-tech as we get at Christ the King. Questions? <laughs> Put on the full armor of God. Secondly, resist the devil, as James 4, 7 says. See, how do I do that? Whatever he tells you to do, do the opposite. Whatever God tells you to do, do exactly that. Both of those together mean you are resisting the enemy of your soul. And finally, stand firm. 1 Peter 5.9 says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. This morning we are going to actually have a moment to link shields with some brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. Recently in Pakistan, one of our Christ the King churches saw over 100 families at the same time, give their hearts to Christ. In that part of the world, that can get you killed. And just in the past couple of days, Pastor Shabazz, I showed you a picture of him a couple of weeks ago. He was the guy wearing the crown. He was actually bitten by a snake, almost died. Pastor David was lured outside of his church, who Shabazz's associate was lured outside of his church by a group of militants, and they shot him four times. He was grazed twice, two bullets actually hit him. And he's been in the hospital ever since. And today, what we're going to do as a church is we're actually going to link our shields together with our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. And we're going to pray for the miracle of deliverance in Pastor David's life. Because you see, a part of this shield thing is, is we're actually supposed to do this stuff together. So I'm going to ask you as a church, would you please stand with me right now? And would you join me as we pray in faith, believing for Pastor David, for Pastor Shabazz, for their church, that I'm sure, I mean, you can imagine what it would be like. Hopefully you never have to experience this, but if your pastor ever got shot in front of you. We have an opportunity to cover our family on the other side of the world, knowing that the God that we serve, our greater God, our stronger God, can be here and there at exactly the same time. So would you pray with me right now? Father God, in the name of Jesus, under the authority of the blood that was shed on the cross for the salvation of our soul, Right now, we put on the full armor of God. We put on the belt of truth that says that our God is a healing God. We put on a breastplate of righteousness, Lord, and as righteously as we can pray and join our hearts together, we choose to do that right now. 
Father, we, we put on our sandals so we are ready to run to the aid of our brothers and sisters. And we come to them through the power of prayer. Father, we pray the helmet of salvation onto our minds right now and we take up the shield of faith, a shield that says we believe that you are a healing God and that you do work all things together for good for those who've been called according to your purpose. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would touch Pastor David as he lays in that hospital bed and that you would raise him to full health and strength. Father, we pray for Pastor Shabazz right now. We pray that you would press that venom from the snake out of his system. That he would be able to stand and rally his church together to pray and to respond in love in the midst of hate and fear. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray for those who shot Pastor David. We pray for the salvation of their souls. Lord, your word says and gives us truth. It says we are to pray for our enemies. So we pray for those men and we ask that they would be saved, that they would be completely overwhelmed by a response, not of vengeance, but a response of love from our Pakistan brothers and sisters. Father, we pray that someday they would give testimony to the changing love and heart of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the church. We place our shields of faith over top of them and ask that you would give them comfort and peace right now. Father, help them not to be wrapped in fear because the truth of the word says perfect love casts out all fear. So we join with them in covering them. Father, they had a day when they gave their heart to Jesus. Lord, may their salvation guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus today. Father, we thank you for our family on the other side of the world. We call for your divine protection. We ask, Lord, that, that you would give them the wisdom to put on their spiritual armor every day. And Lord, I ask, would you trigger their memory in our minds all week long so that we can create a safety net of prayer above them, below them. Lord, may they know today that you are their rear guard, that you are on their right and on their left, that your hand is supporting them beneath their feet, that you are both before and above them right now, that they are secure and safe. Father, we pray for healing. We pray for life. Pray for deliverance. We pray for the salvation of more souls through this tragedy. And we pray these things in your powerful and precious name. And all God's people agreed together and said, Amen.